and welcome back to the Vietnam Swans podcast, Keep Honking. This is episode number four and our guest tonight, who I'll get to in a minute, is exactly the person I had in mind when, when I came up with the idea for this podcast. So I'm very happy that we've, we've finally cornered him. Um, my co-host with the most, once again, is the, the super coach, Rod Rocket White. Welcome to the podcast, Rocket. Oh, Billy, excited to be here this week, I tell you. And my research, I've gone out on a limb, given that you shafted me last time <laughs> when we had bloody our, 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 our mate Mitch on board with the shit research he gave me. But this time I've gone about myself to do my own research. So look out, I'm ready to go. That's right. Adventure Factory is the number one travel blog uh, throughout the world. Mitch and Twee me do incredible work. Now, our guest tonight... Um, has, has relevance throughout this footy club that, that some may not realise and then, then some do realise. From, from the very beginning right through until the present day, um, he is somewhat synonymous with, with our footy club and everything we do. I am, of course, talking about Bill Fabo Johns. Fabo, thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no worries at all, Billy and Rocket. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And again, just to jump in, Bill, I know this isn't a visual podcast, but Faber looking very uh, debonair in his Vietnam response polo. Exactly. Always going to be flying the flag. Now, now, Fabo, you um, you knocked back a few requests to be on this podcast. Um, very straight back. No, no explanation. Just a no, thank you. How how come you've changed your tune now that we reach episode number four? Well, well, you're a little bit pesky. You keep bothering me, and I used when 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 I was actively involved in the Swannies, people used to hang shot on me all the time for, for always gobbing off too much, and that was when I thought I had something to say. But now that I've gone out to pasture, I don't reckon I've got anything to say, and um, and and so that's why I've been reluctant to to come on. But but uh, you've always been a tenacious player, Billy always determined to, to, to get your mark and, and uh, so so yeah I've relented. If you if you annoy people enough you'll you'll eventually get exactly. through. Exactly. Um, <laughs> now the name of this podcast, Keep Honking, it's actually termed after um, one of your many phrases, honk if you love the footy. Can you tell us how you came up with that phrase? Well what, what, not, not, not too clever, it was just stating the obvious. So I started my time off in Hanoi and there's a lot of motorbikes honking horns up there and I thought the only reason they could be honking is because they love the footy. And not one of them said that they disagreed. So I kept, <laughs> kept informing and educating people because a lot of people, especially foreigners, they don't understand, Billy. And we're here to help. That's right. And then, well, I've got a, I've got a double-edged question here, Fabo, because I, I again, I've only met you through the football club, and and uh, what a joyous occasion that has been. But I, I've got part A is I'd love to understand about your early days growing up pre-Vietnam, 
And part B to that question is, uh, as I said, I, I've done some research, is a lot of these people that know you now only know you as the, as the grey the uh, the ghost there now. I'm hearing different rumours as to what your actual colour of your hair was, but I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth at some point. So, so if we start part A, back the early days, and part B, what was the colour of the hair in the early days? Mate, let's go back to when I was a cute little baby. Beautiful blue eyes, blonde hair. Everyone <laughs> reckon I look gorgeous. And then, uh, and then when I came over to Vietnam, the, the hair was a little bit silver. And uh, people used to call me the silver fox. And then after a while, it changed again. So the silver, silver fox was so successful, he went platinum and uh, became the platinum fox. And now no, no one says anything. <laughs> So, but where your days back, your early days growing up, where 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 have you stemmed from? What what has been your upbringing, and, and where have you come from? Well, I've come from Melbourne, Australia, and uh, yeah, no, in eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and and then um, yeah, primary school, secondary school in Melbourne. Then, then afterwards, had a little stint up on on uh, on uh, Cape York Peninsula, oh, yeah. uh, North Queensland. That was pretty good fun. And then it was back to Melbourne, and 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 then um, I was going off for a job over in Indonesia that kept being put back. And when I'd studied my MBA back in Melbourne, there was a Vietnamese guy in the in the program, and and I got in touch with him and said, are you, are you over in Vietnam? I'm planning on going over there for a three-month holiday because this job in Indonesia keeps being put back, put back, put back. And he said, yeah, yeah, he's over here and happy to catch up for a beer. And he was running his own business over here. And then he said, would you like to work with, with him for three months? And I said, okay. yeah, yeah, no, that'd be good. And so I did that and thinking that I could spend that three months looking at Vietnam versus going to Indonesia if this job ever eventuated. And then that was at the time of the 2003 SEA Games in Hanoi. Uh -huh. and, and Zum's business partner was the general director of the Vietnam Football Development, which used to do all the marketing and sponsorships for the national soccer team, which was just massive at, at the sea games and and uh he asked me whether i would stay on and, and work for vietnam football development as in soccer oh, and so that's when i decided to stay in vietnam instead of going to indonesia yeah and for those people the sea games is the southeast asian game for those people that might be listening in from oz now one thing mate you skimmed over was uh your interest or your contact with uh, AFL football back in Australia. What, how much involvement did you have back then, either as a kid growing up playing and then as a, as a teen or a, a young strapping 20-year-old who I'm sure was feisty at times? Never feisty. Always making friends, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I played footy back in, back in Oz, but, but that was... That was to, to no special level at all. It was just local club footy and school footy, and and, and that that was it. it was Which club? Remarkably Which club? unremarkable. In the Eastern Districts Football League. Yeah, I know. So I played for Blackburn Football Club. 
Blackburn. Uh, Blackburn. Yes. Now EFL, I think Eastern. Yeah, Eastern. East, yeah, it's the one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so onto the important stuff, the Swans. You're um, you're living in in Hanoi, one way or another. Indonesia got the flick. Good riddance. How did the Swans actually come to be? What was your involvement uh, at the get-go? And who else was involved in, in those early phases? Yeah, well, the, um, the club had already started when, when I was here. And so, so, yeah, going back to the, the history, the first, the, the, um, the very beginning of it was Mickey Francis, our club sponsor through the mighty Vietnam backpacker hostels. And he, he was running Pepperoni's Pizza Bar and it annoyed him a little bit. Mick will correct you on the story, but he was having to work on Friday nights and he loved the footy. And, and back in 2003, when they didn't hardly even had street lights, it was another, another world, another era compared with what it is today. And there used to be a live feed for Friday night football coming into Hanoi. And, and Mick, the entrepreneur that he is, way back then as well, he, he decided he needed to get a bit of uh, footy, footy viewing going on Friday nights where the guys could come around and, and have some pizza and beer. Good name for another establishment <laughs> as well, by the way. Yes, yes. And, um, and so anyway, that, that was the beginnings of it. And, and uh, those guys used to turn up on, on Friday nights and have, have um, on the couch sessions before the game and, and so on. And that was that was that was all pre-me, and apparently was was really really good fun and a really incredibly social outlet for, for the guys. And then in um, two thousand and four, they they played their first ever game. They decided let's let's play a game, and as well as watch it on the telly. And that was a, a three-way competition with Hong Kong and Thailand. And and good old Gus, he he played in that game, and Mickey Francis and Trav Fennell, a few of those guys who were still around here in Vietnam. And I was in the country at that time, but didn't didn't know about the footy club at that time. And and I got involved a little bit later. And just one question, mate: the pepperoni pizza bar. Now, without stating the bleeding obvious here, what was the best pizza? Oh, the best pizza. Well, by the time I got involved, the Mickey Francis had already made his first gazillion and they opened <laughs> 25 backpacker hostels and, and uh, so on. So, so I, never, on, so I never got to go to Pepperoni's with Mick running the show. Right, and maybe that's for another episode, Bill. We might have to capture that for a later part yeah. as to uh, the hottest pizzas at the Pepperoni Pizza Bar. Try saying that after a few Tiger beers or a few bar. Yeah, it would have been the Supreme. Would have been the Supreme. Yeah, right. Good. Very good. Very good. Now, mate, over the journey, there would have been some characters, and I'm sure you just reeled off a couple just then. Now, given that you've been in amongst it since, what did we say, 2000, and did you say your involvement, 2004? 2004. Yeah, so 16 years. Jeez, you would have seen, you would have seen some odd knobs coming through the doors of uh, the Vietnam Swans Footy Club. Yeah, no question about that. 
Yeah, could so you, could you give us an overview of one or two or three or four, mate? We've got a we've got a little while here, so we're happy to hear some good uh, stories here. Mate. Mate. No, no, well, well if you if you ever wanted a song, Revo was your man. Revo could sing all night, all all morning and all the way through through a game and, and would take over every bus, would take over every um every uh Every function, official function, unofficial function, he's Everything. very awesome. Yeah. And <laughs> Any a particular song, were, mate? Any particular song that sort of stands out? They, 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 were, all, they were all like um, hymns that you would sing at church. <laughs> the, the only one we can sing in public would be the Swanee's theme song, which he actually penned. Yeah, on the back of the stuff you hold Yep, yep. Hold on, everybody. Yeah, mighty river. Other other characters, uh, guys like like Willie, who was there at the very beginning of, of the the Swannies, and and uh, and he's he's just a really really good club guy. You know, for for this club that's been going since since two thousand and one, I think Mix first started having the the, the pizzas of pepperonis, and. Um, Willie was there and Willie hasn't lived in Vietnam for, I don't know, five years, six years or something. And he's still always, always on the Facebook pages, updating. If, if everything is always go use Swannies. doesn't matter what he's doing in Australia that has nothing at all to do with the Swannies. It always finishes <laughs> off go use Swannies. And uh, yeah, no, so he, he's awesome. Oh, look, coming up with colourful characters, they're, they're just everywhere. They're non-stop. It's pretty, with all these questions that you've got trying to single out people. It's super hard work because you mentioned one and you forget the next thousand and, and um, or, yeah, you, or, or it takes you to another story, Fabo, or it takes you to another nice to interlude to another story. Yeah. Yeah, another segue moment. Um, we'll get to the Super 7 later on anyway. That forces you to pull out a few, uh, few names from your closet. Now, um, those early days, uh, when you first came to the club, it was the the Hawks, am I correct? Hanoi Hawks? No, or, or no any, that was oh. a separate competition. That was the okay. Hanoi Hawks. And they existed back in about 1991, ah. I think it was. So that was just after the Vietnam War finished, yeah. <laughs> it seems like. Yep. So that's, that's really long time ago. And so way back then, there was the Hanoi Hawks and and then down the south of the country, they had the Saigon Saints. And Saigon Saints were, were active on the footy field for a few years. Yep. But I think the Hanoi Hawks were, might have played one or two competitions and then that was about it. Because okay. remember, back then there wasn't anything organised uh, across Asia like it is today, pre-COVID days anyway. And, and um, you know, the number of expats to, to draw upon to, to get the nucleus of the team, I know now... There's, there's way more uh, Vietnamese guys who are playing. But back then, the numbers were, were really thin. And it's very easy to find a few people who have the passion. But what, what was always happening back then, today, but now you've got bigger numbers, is the turnover yeah. of, of people who come and go from the country. So if you lose a, a couple of passionate people, it's very easy for the, for the, um, the flame of enthusiasm to, to go out. Yeah. And um, that's what happened with, with the Hanoi Hawks. 
So yeah, it was Mickey Francis and his cohort that, that got footy up again 10 years later. And why the Swans then? Why the Swans? Well, that goes back to the pepperonis bar as well. Yep. So, so um, um, Rick Truavis, he, and I've, I've never met Rick personally, but I've, I've been on the emails with him a lot. He, he was around at that time and he was an absolutely passionate blood supporter, Sydney or South Melbourne and then Sydney Swans. And, and he had a, a, a picture of Bobby Skilton, a classic Bobby Skilton yeah, yeah. photo yeah, yeah. Yeah. From, from way back when. And it had been autographed by Bobby. And, and anyway, that, that would be pulled out on the Friday night and that was like the shrine for them all. And everyone knew that footy's on in the house and there's, there's Bobby. And, and um, yeah, you need, need to be speaking to, to Mickey Francis about those stories because, because yeah, he, he was there. And, and, it, and it's gold and it's, it's, you, you need something to, to, to create a bit of folklore about it. Those, those little traditions and quirks of history have become awesome. Yep. That's, uh, I mean, everybody you're mentioning in this episode almost will will go into future episodes of the podcast. So a lot of these stories are going to get chased from a lot of angles and a lot of different dirt's going to <laughs> going to going to come up to the up to the surface. Uh, tell us about the the games when you first did come out to the club. Games, training, any other notable occasions uh, that spring to mind? Uh, one of one of my biggest bestest highlights of the club was was my very first training session. And and um, and I I'd been a bit reluctant to, to get involved with the, the footy club. I'd heard about the Hanoi Swans, as it was known back then, about them occasionally having a, a kick or a training run or something. And and I was busy doing whatever I was doing, and always had a reason why why there was no need for me to go along. And then and then I did go along, and it was Hung Cow Stadium there in Hanoi which later on became known as Dead Cat Stadium because one day, right, right in the centre circle where the centre circle should be, there was a, a three-legged dead cat. <laughs> so, shouldn't and laugh, shouldn't laugh. Yeah, it was a special cat to someone. Well, the leg was special to someone anyway. <laughs> that might so, have been a lucky so, pool, Feather. So anyway, that was the mighty Dead Cat Stadium. So, you know, this weird, quirky thing of, of being able to play Aussie rules in, or training was all it was back then, in a weird, freaky, amazing Hanoi. You know, it was surreal and magical. And when I first came to Vietnam, I was working in, in a, for a Vietnamese company, which, which I loved, it was great fun, everything, everything. But, but as a foreigner, you're always clumsy. You're clumsy with the language, the verbal communications, the, the gestures, everything's clumsy. Everything's well-meaning and, and et cetera, et cetera, but, but it's clumsy. And when I eventually went to Dead Cat Stadium and there would have been, I don't know, maybe 12 guys or something back then. And then I was hanging out with Aussies again, so you had the Aussie brand of humour, so straight away instant connection, which I, I didn't realise how much I'd been missing it. And and 
to have Tommy Sheridan back in your hands again and to be able to bounce the ball and shoot out a handball, all of a sudden, I felt fluent again. You know, I'm not like some of the other legends you have on the show, but to know what to do and this Aussie sense of humour and camaraderie. And, of course, once you're running around with everyone and you're sweating together and so on, and it was just awesome. I had no idea. And, you know, doing it there in Hunkow Stadium, and it's a little bit cooler because it's after the sun's gone down on a heaping hot day in Hanoi and playing under lights, doing the training session under lights on this dirt track. And then, and then afterwards we went out for a, for a beer, unbelievably, and, and it was next to, next to the lake. Uh, the, I forget the name of the hotel. There's the Fortuna Hotel and then there's another Hanoi Hotel or something and a lake there. Anyway, we went to the beer hoi place there and, and anyway, the coach at the time, JD Jared Dale, he, he was given a, a shirt from the, the beer hoi place. It was an anchor shirt. And, and anyway, it was just a giveaway that they give away each week. And JD gets the shirt and he says, all right, so tonight we give away the shirt to, and he can't think who did. Everyone's got three of these shirts each. And he says, oh, tonight we give the shirt to, to Johnsy because he's, uh, and he's fishing for a reason. And he says, because he's the most enthusiastic new trainer tonight. And, and I get, get the shirt and I understand that everyone's got 20, but it's the whole vibe of the thing. And coming off that, that training run, holding Tommy Sharon again, chugging beers back with 12 guys who are now instantaneously your best friend. Everyone has gone out of their way to, to treat you like a hero when they've never met you before. And I just thought, wow, the culture of this place is just so good. I'm in love. I am soft. This, this is it. And, uh, yeah, wasn't able to pry me away for a long, long time thereafter. And, and you know, those, those cultural aspects were always super important to me. You know, you, and, and no, no, nobody invents stuff. There's always a thousand people before you who, who have given you the histories and the traditions. And it's your job to, to pick them up where, where, you, where you get them, you pick them up and you try to shine them and make them bigger and better for the next people. And, and um, yeah, no, those, those guys at the outset, yeah, they, it was just yeah. so good. And, yeah. and throughout your time at the club, everyone has similar stories. Yeah. It, it gets, a, you know, Rocket, you, you keep leaving the country, but, but you keep coming back. And, and we used to have an expression that, that you can leave the country, but you can't leave the club. And, yeah. and examples like you are fantastic. And, and you get to showcase them to all the others. And the others come in and say, well, it's not just a club of, of 20 blokes who are here right now. There's, there's all these other people watching. There's all these other people who care about it. And that's the history and the depth and the, and the, the, the culture and, you know, understanding that, the club has a big, big future because the roots are so deep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's very much, as I say, you know, and it's a lot like, it's hard to explain, but it's a lot like any other football club too, you know, with your characters and, uh, you know, not every, not, you don't get along with everyone all the time. You know, there's a bit of bitching and a bit of moaning goes on. So, but, but again, yeah, as you say, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. And, and everyone makes it work. 
And yeah. and uh, because of the, you know, we're we're doing it while we're overseas. The and and because most of the people in the footy club didn't come to Vietnam to play footy, they came for other reasons, and it's the footy that has brought together such a disparate bunch of people. And, and so it's, it's extraordinary, the, the, the mixing between different socioeconomic groups or whatever, from every walk of life, everyone comes together about this common cause and this common club. And, and yeah, it's a special, special melting pot. Now, if I could take you back to 2004, mate. Now, now I'm, a bit, I'm a couple of years younger than you, and, and my, my memory serves me that in 2004, the internet wasn't exactly quite strong. So, so in terms of being able to get these blokes together back in 2004, you know, the current day and age, we bang it up on our Facebook page or we put something out through our web, website. But back in 2004, how do, you, how do you get these blokes together? I don't remember it being tricky. I think it was just emails. Really? Yeah. Okay. I get the feeling uh, that white people with that sort of strange accent around town stood out as well. So it becomes fairly possible to to identify and oh, you sound like that bloke. Uh, you should go and talk to him. And then, yeah. sure enough, he points you in the right direction. Um, yeah. So and 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 also, well, you also got the phone. And and there wasn't there wasn't a long list of people you had to contact, you know. Like like oh, I I remember uh, plenty of times turning up to Dead Cat Stadium with with uh, one or two others. I felt felt privileged that, that there were two others there, you know. Like and school holidays used to wipe out Hanoi in the middle of the year, so that that was particularly tough. So yeah, the the, the number. The numbers weren't weren't great, and you build up to a tournament, and then you get 20, 20 people turning up. Yeah. But yeah, no, so it wasn't a big challenge. Yep. So so tell us, Favo, how did the um, how did the Swans end up taking flight and migrating south? Well, in at the end of two thousand and six, Casey Stacy, Scotty Stacy, the little guy, super coach. He, he'd been um, heavily involved with the Swannies from the, the start, from, from that first game back in 2003. And, and he moved down to Saigon for work and, and that was a big loss to Hanoi. And, and then I moved down in January 2007 for work. And previously, so, so the club played its first game in 2003 so 2003 to 2006, and as we talked about, the numbers weren't great. People come and go, and that, that was a big hit to the, the club. And, and it's easy to play a home game because everyone wants to play when it's convenient. But to get a home game, you've got to be able to travel. And it's hard to get 20 people to, to travel to another country when you're coming off such a, a small base. And we'd always said that to be sustainable, we needed to increase the, the size of the player pool. And back then we weren't thinking about using Vietnamese to, to increase the numbers. We were looking at Saigon, which had had the Saigon Saints that had been successfully playing for a few years. 
but then that, that had stopped, the Hanoi Hawks had stopped. So we knew that, that it's not a given that clubs keep playing footy. And so, so we, we tried to find people in Saigon who were interested in playing footy, but, but that hadn't happened remotely. And then with Scotty Stacey and, and myself, when we got together, we thought, well, there's two of us. We, we can start playing kick to kick and then see if a third person joins us and a fourth person. And we'll see if we can get something happening down in the South. But with that history of the Hanoi Hawks have stopped playing footy and Saigon Saints have stopped playing footy, we're worried about Hanoi Swans stopping playing footy because the numbers were getting smaller. And then if we, if we get something going on in Saigon, then, then um, that's good, but not at the expense of Hanoi. We want, we want to footyize the world. And, and so then, then we started. And guys like Damo Judd and Paul Cookie Cook, you know, they were, Richard Beecher, they were, they were among the first to, to come out there. Chris Badjo, he, he came out a few times, jumped across from the rugby to, to fill in the numbers. And, and um, yeah, tried to, to stitch a national club. And I, I think we did a, a pretty good job of that. We, we thought it would be, it'd be pretty tricky, you know, with the distance and with not much travel going on back then, pre-AFL Asia and so on. And, and um, yeah, we kept working on it and I think it, it was okay. So from your memory, what were the first uh, national Vietnam Swans games and I guess tell us about the first champs appearance. Well that was 2007 and that we started with Saigon making it a, a national one and I, I think I think I think I think we played Singapore in Hanoi later on that year as, as a national club and we might have played, we must have played um, Hanoi down in Saigon as well that year. So I think there were the, the two games that year. But, but the big focus was on the Asian Championships. And, and, and going, going back to the start of the then Hanoi Swans, this idea of the Asian Championships, there have been the Asian Champs going on since, since uh, 2000 with the big clubs of Singapore and Hong Kong, Indonesia and so on. And, but, but for us over here, we, did, we didn't know anything about it. We couldn't believe that, that there was such a thing called Asian champs and that these, that they're actually countries that were going to play from it. And it was a guy, Dave Caney, so I'm getting off track a little bit, but Dave Caney, he had been involved with the Jakarta Bintangs way back when, and then he came across to Hanoi and was there when the Hanoi Swans started playing footy. And he was a big driving force of, of the Hanoi Swans playing footy because to be a footy club, you've got to also play footy. Mm. And, and um, so he was really determined to, to push this line. And why that's important is because you've got individuals that are taking learnings from one club to the next club. So until Dave Caney came along, didn't know anything about the Asian champs. Now all of a sudden you go, wow, there's an Asian champs. 
And this used to be the big weakness of football around the area. It used to rely on informal networks for people, oh, my mate is in this country talking about whatever. This is what their club's doing. And, and so, so with so much, not, not ignorance, but people just not knowing, then you, you don't, you don't realise that there's already a bar here and it's, that's something to follow, that's something to chase. And, and so, so when we set up this national Vietnam Swans, the goal was absolutely, we need to be at the Asian Championships because you can't be a real club until you've, you've joined in Asia's premier competition. And, and um, it was held in August of, of that year and I forget how, how many people we had. It was a big squad. It might have been about 36, which, which just blew us all away. And that was from people from across the country. And really, really exciting bit was, was that um, we had guys from Laos come over and join us, Cambodia. And uh, well, there were some that came from Melbourne. Not, not, not ring-ins, but guys who had been over in Vietnam and had come back, and oh, maybe one or two other countries. But then, you know, that was enough to get Lao up and running. So within within um, three months, Lao had established the Lao Elephants, coming off, helping us get the numbers to turn up to the Asian champs in Bangers. And and in November that year, we we had the Tri Nations Cup, which was the beginning of, of the Indochina Cup. We had Thailand, Laos playing its first ever game, and Vietnam. And you just go, how good is footy in Asia? You know, the seed is spreading because we're bringing people in together. You know, it's not about saying, oh, my club's this, bugger off everyone else. It's no, 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 because the more people are into footy, the more games we start to play. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um it's interesting how you say that the sort of the, the merge or the migration was into into one club with the north and the south. It's always I've always found it a bit of a challenge just to try and how to manage that. But I think you know um, keeping everyone engaged is, is really critical. And when you I was listening to you talking about that, given the recent events in Vietnam, where given the boys and the girls can't travel outside the country at the moment. We've had the North versus South challenge. And it looks like we'll have the best of three for the year in Vietnam. And one man you sort of touched on earlier by the name of Angus McEwen, who's sort of torn between a North, Northern or a Southerner. Um, actually probably Six points really... for the Southerners against the North, I understand. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that was probably... Last weekend, he couldn't even play. He just sat on the Yeah, side. that was probably his best effort, I think. But was there any 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 is there any rivalry? Was there any rivalries or or between the, the, the North and the South or the Saints and the Hawks during your time before we came together? Oh, well? the, the the Saints and the Hawks that that predates me by a long time. So oh, okay. so in 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 terms of the footy being being played, that that was only Hanoi and and uh, Saigon. Oh, as well as Bungtau yeah, Hanoi and, and Saigon, and yeah. Danang, Moyan. You know, so all these people were feeding in. And um, and no, I, I don't think there was any significant rivalry. And one of, the, one of the things that I was, and I wouldn't have seen it because I was trying so hard to make sure, we're trying to ensure that 
that um, the two ends of the country stitched together as seamlessly as possible because my whole focus was trying to grow the size of that player pool. If you don't have a player pool, you run out of tournaments, you run out of matches. And, and to play a home match, you need to play away. So everything was about trying to find something for one end of the country to, to relate to with the other end of the country. And, and then, you know, like, like each, each end of the country can be doing their own thing. But if, if we all feel like we're wearing the, the, the Swannies badge, that we're all part of that, you'll yeah. feed off that. And and so so yeah no there were great things both ends of the country were doing that, that you could learn from because it's sharing the information yeah that's what 100%. you need the information to be shared yeah you're doing that well at the moment I think so as well so so for any division you you want something controversial that's where we would turn to Billy because Billy was always Mister Controversial oh, Billy would find out well, what your argument is. He would always listen to you first and then he'd take the other side. He would never ever commit to a one side of an argument before he knew what you thought. So I'd, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be trying to um, sweep up after Billy, saying, no, no, it's all good, nothing to see here. How many uh, beers would that have taken, Trevor, for that to happen? Uh, I think I opened a can up next to him and he was off. <laughs> <laughs> just a sniff, just a sniff. Yeah, I don't know where to start on a few of those. but um. So when did you actually jump into the, the hot seat and become the national prez? Well, I, I took over from DT Daryl Taylor, who took over from Dave Caney, Flyer, who took over from Mickey Francis. So, I don't know, maybe about 2006 or 2005, I became president of the Hanoi Swans. Okay. And then, then when... We went down, Scotty Stacey and myself went down to to um, Saigon. Then we had a national club and, and I was the, the national president. And Scotty Stacey, he was he was Saigon president. And then we had Willie up up the north who was who was Hanoi president. Very good. Very good. Now I've been trying to Again, through my research here, Bavo, with I think some pretty good sources. But I was led to believe that that you were the king of the toe poke out on oh. the football field. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on, on, on that feat or that specialty within your game? Yeah, well well the beauty of the toe poke is that Peter Dacos like, and like every other player nowadays, is that you can kick the ball along and, and it bounces in all sorts of weird and wonderful directions and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And and I was lucky that, that a couple of times it worked for me when others were watching. So, so yeah, no, the, and one, one, one toe poke was right on the point post, kicked it off the, the ground in RMIT in Saigon and it went went through through for a goal. It was, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Bill says, probably in a weekly occurrence. Now, but I heard you were handy. I heard you were handy. Sorry about that. You're like, it's bad. I was like, I can pot shots. I don't hear so That's goals. true. Just big now, marks, Billy, in the back line. I heard, I heard you were handy in the forward pocket, mate. And um, as I say, uh, a little bit, a bit of a, a, a goal sneak. What was your biggest bag? 
for the Swans, or even actually in your career. How about we do that? What was the biggest bag in your career? Oh, I, I think I think you can bag my career. That, that, <laughs> that's the biggest bag. <laughs> I don't know, only a couple of goals or a few goals or something. No, not, nothing to see here. And the I only reason I got to be in the forward pocket was because I was the president. We always had a queue of 10 people wanting the forward pocket. And I would insist with the coach. That yeah, no, I, I, know that, I, know, I know the feeling, Tabo. I know that feeling. <laughs> so your, your penchant for, for building bridges is, is quite legendary against some of us uh, longer-term Swannies. Uh, to, give, to give people who are newer to the club some examples, uh, my first game against Bali, you actually, at RMIT, you turned into a, an ongoing bushfire appeal, which went beyond that game. And, and that was when Australia was, was experiencing uh, the previous worst bushfires that they'd ever been through. Uh, we raised a heap of money via Auscham with the Kiwi community, everything. Um, you then went on to connect to things like the Bungtau Orphanage, Swim Vietnam, uh, and also building that connection between uh, Stan Middleton and Ron Vernon, which, which brought the, the VFL, the vets were playing during the war, together with the Swans and, and is now our Anzac Day kind of package. Um, how did you actually see all these connections and, and come to turn them into such kind of meaningful meaningful elements of, of the footy club? Uh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a huge yeah. topic. I think, I think uh, I'll, I'll start out of left field, and it would have been in 2004 when we went to the Hanoi Swans AFL Grand Final Party, which was yeah, at Jasper's there in Hanoi Towers. And we went in and someone, someone did, I don't know, I, I, going back to your question before, Rocket, about how do you communicate with each other back in 2004. But somehow Mickey Francis had got an article in the, in the Herald Sun back in Melbourne to say that the Hanoi Swans would be watching the, the AFL Grand Final in, in Hanoi, Vietnam. And, and it was just a short little brief thing. And, and I, I saw that. I'm in the queue going into Jasper's to pay my money to get into the grand final and, and I find out what Mickey Francis has done and now major Me Melbourne metropolitan newspapers running the story on the Hanoi Swans. And I thought, wow, you know, how good is that? You know, this is something really special playing Aussie rules over in, over in Vietnam. This is, this is a big deal. We can make this a big deal. So that's already, I already think that we've got something good enough to, to bottle. That's something much more than just the game when you're out on the ground. And then, and then uh, you know, with something like the, the Black Saturday bushfire match and fundraiser, we, we raised a little bit of money and, and we gave the money to the Yarra Valley Mountain District Football and Netball League. And what, what, happens with a foot, footy club. Footy clubs are the, the community. The footy club draws everyone together. And that's, that's absolutely what happened back there on Black Saturday and, and thereafter. You know, everyone in Australia all turned to their local footy clubs. And with, with the Yarra Valley Mountain District Footy League, they, they used the Oval as a refuge when the fires were going through. And, you know, that's, that's what the Swannies was as well. It, it's about a community 
and the club bringing people together. And we, if, in, whenever you've got a group of people together, everyone's got a story and someone has a story that's a bit more pronounced at any given time. And you don't know what's going on. And with the Black Saturday things, it, it turned out that there were a number of people there who, who had family members or friends or whatever that lost houses and in dire straits. And there's, there's, a, there's a sense of disbelief when your home country goes through a major tragedy and some people who have these, these personal experiences. And you need to be able to, if you're stuck over here, you, you, need, you need a way to, to in a sense, grieve or, or to come together to, to, to share. You're a long way from home. And, you know, so, so having a fundraiser, which we did with the Bali Geckos, it was a way of getting the community together so that we could all talk to each other, in a sense, do a debrief with each other. And, you know, we're not going through it by ourselves. So, so there, there's something good and positive about that. If you have something like a fundraiser, then you feel like you're doing something positive. So the amount of money that you raise isn't going to make a scrap of difference over there. But the gesture feels like you're doing something. For our footy club, to be able to reach out, out to a footy club in, in one of the most severely hit areas, that, that was really awesome because it's a footy club helping out a footy club. We can have governments doing their stuff, but footy clubs are about people. And so that connection was really good. And, and the other thing that, that um, the amount of money is small, but the impact that you have, the symbolic impact, these people are going, what the hell? Do you guys play football over there in Asia? And you've come together and raised a, a small amount. You can knock them over. And it's, it's a real crutch for them at an important time. And, and, um, and everyone around the club feels good that they've done something positive. And that makes you feel stronger and better. And so in terms of that club spirit and camaraderie and linking of arms, it, it, it's, a, it's a lift, a lift up. It's, it's very, very positive on, on all sorts of levels. And then the Anzac match and so on. Well, that goes on forever. That's, they're all worth a, an episode each. Mm. So I don't know whether we've got enough time to talk about them, but, but yeah, yeah, people who, who are personally involved and you, you think you're doing something that, that there's a bit of whatever, and then you find out afterwards what an impact it's had. And the Anzac match, the, particularly the one that, uh, that, that we went over to Thailand, went over to Kanchanaburi. You know, that, was, that was extraordinary on multiple, multiple levels. And that, that was the one that gave us the impetus to, to have another crack at getting an Anzac match up and running in, in Vietnam. And we succeeded in that. And Who, Whose idea was that, Faber, on the Anzac match initially? Who, who, who came with the brainchild? The Vietnam? Yeah. Uh, it was something that we'd already talked about and and the then Consul General at the time, he'd, he'd suggested that that uh, probably not such a, a great idea to be doing something around Anzac and he, he suggested that it might be better to do something about the 
around the date that that um, that Vietnam and Australia opened up diplomatic relations, and and so anyway, we we shelved that for a little bit, and then then we did 2009 was when we did the the trip across to to Thailand, and and then um, the next year 10 was we we started up in Bung Tau. Yeah, no, no, I'd say they're certainly one of the highlights in the calendar, that's for sure, uh, in my bridge time. So, uh, yeah, very, very uh, fantastic days. Really, really good days. Um, one, one, yeah, one, 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 one thing I would add is, um, yeah, if, if you want a, a really, really good story to, to have a read on the Swannies website, is uh, Patrick Stringer's article, mm. Finding Dad in Siam. And, and he's a, he used to be the Australian commissioner in Hanoi. And, and uh, we invited him to, to come along to, to uh, Thailand saying, yeah, come on over for Anzac match in Kanchanaburi, you know, the, all that stuff. And, and back, back in that year, the 25th of April was on a Saturday. So you had the dawn service followed by the, the footy match. So it was just everything working together and but anyway we we asked Patrick did he want to come along and sometime afterwards he he was explaining that that he was totally uh, he was he was well, I was he couldn't say anything he was lost lost for words and he, he well, just well, shut well. down oh I didn't realize he shut down I was too busy telling him how important and good it was going to be over there in Thailand and and, um, and what, what he talks about in this article on the Swannies website, it is just awesome. And his father used to be a prisoner of war on the, the Thai Burma Railway. And his father died, or oh, was, was badly treated, of course, during the war. And had also been, been writing notes and to try and document what was going on in the camps and then hiding those notes uh, which, which would be pulled out after the end of the war and were used in the trials against the Japanese. And, and anyway, then I think Patrick might have been about six or seven when his father died. And he'd come back from the war as a shell of his previous self. And since then, Patrick had, had become an avid scholar, student of, of all history related to Thai Burma Railway. And, and it was a big, big deal for him. And even though he was in Hanoi, he um he didn't go back to he didn't go back to Thailand to go and check out where where his father had been because in his own words he said he didn't think he he um, had the permission of his father to go back and the football match was the excuse that got him across the, the line the the catalyst to get him back there the catalyst and he went there and it was incredibly moving time for him he got to meet uh, three former prisoners of war and and he talks about some of the, the discussion the conversations he had with them and and uh, it just got him right to the core and he was going wow we're just playing a, a little game of football out here but some of the people on the periphery it's impacting so so personally that that it's the football club that has made that possible and and so stuff about Building bridges, I think, once from from Hong Kong to Indonesia, I, people hang shit on me for 
and that that it's it's those sorts of stories that that make you realise it's not it is a la la environment with huge laughs and jokes and everything, but there's there's also multiple there's multiple levels and some of them run very very deeply and and if you tap into those you can make a real difference to some people and again the club collectively feels like they they're on board something very very special and 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 everyone protects it everyone wants to become a, a custodian of, of of that history and specialness that exists and and then your club could just go on and do anything no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty amazing story. That it's a, it's a, it's a pretty amazing story. Um, I have to go back and reread it myself, actually. So, um, to lighten the, to lighten the tone a bit, Fabo. This is a, again a two-part question. Again, from some, some hard, hard research I've been doing about you. Uh, part A of the question is, have, have you ever consulted for Facebook? Uh, yes or no? Have I ever consulted? Why give out free advice? Uh, well, do that. well, 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 my my research is suggesting to me that uh, you know during a, a recent period, I think during your presidency of the Vietnam Swans, that you were very, very active on the social media channels and, and websites, etc. Uh, at certain points of time, and that may have also been occurring uh, during some of your working days with uh, the wonderful Mr. Powell, who who may the have sources, been the sources start to come into. Yeah, you wouldn't be a good journalist. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say? I can't tell you who it was, no. Mr. Powell. Australian federal and, police. Uh, say thank you, yeah, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, can't can't tell you who it was, but Mr. Powell, he uh, he he sort of seemed to think that maybe part of his salary was sort of funding the Vietnam Swans presidency and social networking. Yeah, what a great bloke! <laughs> <laughs> no, that wouldn't be true. That wouldn't be true. That that's that's just gossip and innuendo. But 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 but. Yeah, there's always a but, I like it. Here you going, going, going back to how, how did you communicate with each other, it used to be emails. And I used to, I used to um, send out a weekly email. This is going way back when. And, and I'd start jotting things down on an email. But originally, I'd start just sending the email out on Thursdays and just make it up as I go. And then, and then it always seemed like there was more and more stuff coming in all the time. And so I would go to it, I'd open up an email at the start of the week and then build on that and send out a little thesis on Thursdays. And and then I thought, oh, maybe maybe I, I um, just need to, to start adding each of these paragraphs on onto the website. So the website used to be updated a lot. There, there was always some something new going on there. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 mate. I, but that, that wouldn't have been during work time, Rocket. No, hey, look, hey, again, I don't want to divulge my sources, but that, that but, would have been between work and footy training. Yeah, of course. No, no, look, I, I'm 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Now, before, well, not not before, after you were you were clearly doing an amazing job as the president of the Swans during your time. Uh, 
Um, again, my sources tell me that you played a pivotal role uh, in setting up AFL Asia as well. Um, could you sort of talk us through how that came about and um, you know some of the some of the, I guess the early work that was being done around? Yeah. So so with that, what as I mentioned before, you know, like we've got all these clubs around the place all doing good things, but but mostly doing them in isolation. And unless you've got a personal contact in that club, you don't you don't hear about it. And so there's no infrastructure to to facilitate the free flow of information. And and everyone, every stranger you would meet would say, oh, wow, you played footy in, in uh, Asia, do you? Wow, that's amazing. And, but not, not have a clue that other clubs exist. And you'd meet people who say, oh, well, I saw someone from Thailand or Bali or wherever, but I didn't know you played footy as well. And that, that used to always shit me a little bit because, because you look weaker if you're not part of something bigger. And having, having a way, an umbrella to bring us all together so that we could, we could move the information around and not rely on individual relationships, develop systems where with the turnover of people throughout Asia and, you know, so amazing experiences like, like our Thailand, Thailand ANZAC match, which drives us to, to get our own ANZAC match up and running. You know that 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 it happens more easily, more readily. So so that 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 was the background, and and there's more by now. There's more footy being played, so a lot of these things are starting to happen anyway. And I forget when AFL Asia was established, maybe 2014, 14 or 13. Anyway, it was perhaps at the end of 2013 that uh, Steno, Mark Steno, down, down here in Saigon, Swanee, who, who'd also played with uh, Singapore and Thailand, wasn't it? With Steno? Right. I think so. Anyway, he, he came from, from elsewhere and he, he loved the whole Asian footy thing as well. And, Actually, and I, he, get the, I get the feeling that Steno might have been living off the Hornblower's coattails there. I think Steno may have only played in Vietnam, but Kev had played he, in Singapore right. and Thailand. It's, that's Kev you're describing. Uh, yeah, but Steno, yeah, Steno yeah. was following his uh, Friday night stories over a few bottles of wine. Yeah, I think you're right there, Billy. Yeah, yeah so anyway, this enough enough Steno, yeah. who kicked <laughs> as many goals as me. So <laughs> he got two enough nuffs together. And and so anyway, Steno is saying that we, we need to have a competition going, you know, with a proper ladder and all this stuff. And and he started banging on about it pretty hard. And and um, and it was was making some some sense. And and so because I was the president and I've got the formal relationship with the other presidents around the region. So sometimes we'd we'd send emails around to each other, but you know, like there's no structure for that. And, and anyway, we, we organised to have a meeting over in Bangers and I don't know, maybe about nine, nine or ten of us turned up and we talked about, well, how, how do we get these different clubs to come together and how do we agree a set of rules and, and all that? And, 
and uh, Steno kept on being the ideas man and he kept tinkering, tinkering. And it was in danger of uh, just sort of fizzing out a little bit. You know, maybe the idea was a bit ahead of its time. And, and then we we're coming into to Christmas and we had the Indochina Cup starting in January. And so that was going to be four teams playing. And Steno said, let's make that the first, the first tournament of, of the AFL Asia era. And, and initially I, I said to him, oh, I don't know, that's a good idea. You know, we're going to need to get people to, to agree and all that. And he says, no, nah, bugger it. That, that'll take forever. We've, we've just got to do it. We've got to demonstrate, you know, show people what it is. Everyone will have an opinion and then people start talking about the model, not talking about whether we do it or don't do it. They start wanting to refine it. And, and so, so he told me what I had to say to everyone else and, and we bludgeoned our way through it. And, and I, I was very happy to, to do the bludgeoning because that's exactly how, how the Swannies got started with our away games. So I talked before about Dave Caney. We, we played our match in 2003 and then 2004, we didn't, we didn't play a single game. And in 2005, Dave Caney was gonna go off to Singapore. His job was taking him away, but he made it his personal crusade to get the Swannies on the road to, to play a, an away game because he reckoned that once the Swannies travelled, they'd have the bug and the club would be away. And it wouldn't matter that he moved on. And, <clears throat> and I missed out on that tour as well. And, and so anyway, the Swannies did that. And then everyone comes back from Malaysia saying, wow, you know, footy overseas, travelling, footy in Asia, how good is it? This is the best thing ever. Genie was out of the bottle and the Swannies never looked back. And so, Having a similar sort of approach with AFL Asia, don't wait for agreement, just do it, and, and then everyone else will come on board. And so that's, that's what we, we did. And, and uh, some, some clubs took a bit of time to, to get on board, and that was fine because that's what was always going to happen. And some years later, AFL Asia. And the great thing now is that every footy club all has the AFL Asia badge on their, on their jumper. So it doesn't matter whether you're from Timbuktu or China or wherever, any outsider who touches an AFL Asia club knows about the 20 odd clubs that, that exist under the umbrella. So now everyone knows that whatever country you go to, you tap into the local footy community. It's one thing that's so unique, you know, when I, when I go back to Oz and at Christmas or whatever and send our mates and they say, oh, who do you play? You know, and and it's just that 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 whole point of difference it creates, and says, oh, we're gonna we're gonna fly to Malaysia, and we play in Malaysia, or we're gonna you know gotta fly to, um, you know, uh, wherever it might be, the Philippines or, or whatever, and they go, you fly, you mean you got twenty five blokes fly together and you go and fly and play footy in another country, I go, yeah, they go, that's just that's just amazing, like how does that happen? And you pay for yourself, yeah, we all pay. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just such a unique experience, right? That's been created. How good's footy in Asia? So yeah, AFL, no, amazing. AFL Asia. Now you, you touched on about twenty clubs. It actually encompasses twenty countries and territories exactly. 
um, and several more clubs in, in some of those, those bigger countries. Uh, it's been integrated with the AFL with a full-time development officer. Uh, almost over half the clubs probably now have a have an AFLW program and active teams. Local development has been a um, point of pride for for the last five or six years. Um, how proud do you feel of of starting that ball rolling? And like you said, we now all use that that common badge umbrella to kind of unify the sport across the region, but to also do bigger and better things in our own backyards. How much pride does that give you? Oh, I think think it's it's enormously satisfying, and and it's something that I <clears throat> I always knew, we always knew that that was going to happen because how good's footy in Asia? Like you can't you can't you can't stop the beast. And and I remember one time Nathan Buckley and Gary O'Donnell and their their fathers, they came over here to, to Saigon to do a special on the Long Tang Cross that was going to be played before the, the Collingwood Essendon game that year for the Anzac match. And, and we, did a, we did a footy clinic out there at RMIT and, and then, then I, you know, we get Nathan Buckley to say a few words and then I say a few words. And it's pretty daunting, you know, like, like at that stage our clubs the ripe old age of six or seven years old and you're talking to one of the superheroes of the, the Collingwood Football Club that has how many years history, 110 years or whatever it is. And, and, and I remember making that, that point, but then I thought, well, hang on. You know, once upon a time, the Collingwood Football Club was the same age as us. And you fast forward a hundred years, and um, where are you? You know, like if everyone keeps dissing on us because we're only six years old, well, look, of course we don't have the history and the traditions, but it all starts somewhere. And, and I, think, I think that um, what I used to always imagine, I, I used to always look ahead 10, 20, 30, 50 years and then look back to what we were doing now. And I, I would think that we're in the sandpit together. You know, what we are building now is, is so much fun and we are the pioneers. And even if it doesn't become a Collingwood Football Club or any other club, it doesn't matter because the people who are involved in this stuff right here now, for them, it's 100 times better than and And so, yeah, looking back at what, what we're doing is just extraordinary. And... and that, that's why I always valued the history of the club because the history of the club is, is your culture and that gives you confidence going forward. So new people, when they come into the club, they get a sense that, hang on, there's, there's something a little bit bigger about this group. It's not 20 hacks that have just randomly met each other at a bar. They're, they're tapping into something a bit deeper than that. And another analogy I, I used to think of it as, as, as like a staircase. And guys who come into the footy club today, you know, they're at a high level and they've got a great view around the place, but they need to understand that the reason why they're on that platform is because of all the stairs leading up to it. You know, your guys like your Mickey Francis's and your, your Daryl Taylor's and your, your Dave Caney's and so on. So, you know, there's, there's, 
there's an enormous amount of gratitude that's due to the guys who put in the hard yards and all of us put in hard yards. Whatever stage we come in, we're all putting in. Similarly, for those guys lower down who get to see where the club is, they need to understand that they're not the future of the club. They're the history of the club. And, but they're not the future. It's these guys who are going to be Nathan Buckley on the 100th year of the club. Everyone looks at Nathan Buckley and says, wow, wow, wow. So these guys need to respect the Nathan Buckley, but these guys need to understand something about the history. And it's the whole way through, it's about stitching those, those different stairs together so that it's a, a solid staircase just forever going on upwards. And I think yeah. AFL Asia is absolutely doing that. So the guys who are running it now, yeah, perfect. You know, the things that are... As you mentioned, all, all the, the development of the locals across the country, guys like Indonesia were doing a super extraordinary job for the last 100 years. But that's, that's really blossomed and, and spread out much further. The AFLW, you know, all this stuff has happened a long time after me. So it's, it's these people who are taking it way, way up here. But together, we stitch it all up so that the history is rich. So, Favo, swinging it sort of from off football for a minute and onto my, I guess, into my world, similar where I'm in the corporate professional world. What the hell have you been doing these last sixteen years in Vietnam? Oh well, um, been been working with with Mr. Mr. Paul Cook very very hard. So yeah, no, I work work for, for Cookie. And a bit of power. So, so yeah, with, with him building the boats, selling the boats, and also had a stint at, at um, the Australian Business Chamber. And then my very first job, where, well, as I mentioned before, I, was, I got involved in uh, Vietnam soccer, which was pretty weird. I hated soccer. And, uh, and I didn't leave Australia until after I'd seen the AFL grand final. So, so I went to the grand final on the Saturday and then Came to Vietnam on the Tuesday and was thinking, yeah, Aussie rules is the greatest thing ever. And then got caught up with uh, Vietnam soccer, where, where, you know, just, just my goodness, you know, what goes on in this crazy thing where it doesn't matter what, what you do, you sell out the, the crowd, sell out the stadium. And then I got heavily involved with AFL Asia. Uh, with, with Aussie rules, which nobody gave a tinker's cuss about. And uh, there were bits of flip sides. Soccer in Vietnam versus Aussie rules in Vietnam. So that's when I started noticing all the horns honking and thought that yeah. they must, must be honking for the footy. A shout out to all our soccer listeners out there. I'm sure there's thousands of them, but we, you know, <laughs> we love the game. We love the game. We love the game. We love the game. That's, that's why I worked for the game. So from your, you mentioned the Australian Chamber of Commerce or AusCham as it's referred to locally in the community. Swancham. Wow. Oh yeah, here it is, boom. Now, what, from those, from that period, a couple of years, um, what would be your opinion on, on the Australian business community actually here in, um, in Vietnam overall? And, and maybe to go to another level, how would you compare it to some of the other foreign countries um, and their chambers and maybe some things that we could 
could do better or, or what we do well? The, the, the Auschams around the region? No. Auscham uh, in Vietnam, how did you find working with the Australian expat oh. business community and how would you compare it to some of the other nationalities in this country? Um, well, there, there, there's, there's lots of Aussie community uh, businesses around here, particularly in the, the professional services, way more in the professional services than the, the consult um, manufacturing. So where I am now, manufacturing company, that's so, so there's not, not as many of us uh, there. Um, in terms of, of, of uh, you know, the Aussies are very successful and Aussies always have a great belief in themselves. And, and so, so we, we tend not to uh, gather together as closely as, as what some of the other nationalities do. So in a business sense, obviously your Japanese, your Koreans, you know, these, these countries, they are, they are like blue. Whereas Australian businesses tend to be way more independent. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's a, the, the footy club is, you know, a, a really interesting and effective way of sharing business information because Everyone involved in the footy club is so close together. It's it's much easier, I think, to to share information uh, with with new people, especially. So I don't know with with the business chamber that that is very successful, but it's more formal. So I don't know. Some sometimes the setting is good for formal interaction. Sometimes informal. I think they go together. So, so what you're saying is, question? well, yeah, it's fine. Uh, what you're saying is that effectively we could close down Auscham tomorrow and the Swannies would do a better job. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the Swans should have a president of Vietnam as well. Just the Prime Minister. So we'll ask Prime Minister Fook if he wouldn't mind. Billy would like to take the reins for a little yeah. while. I did, I did I think mention... Billy would be a good player. I did mention before we started this podcast that I feel like having been in Vietnam over the past six months that I'm now a pandemic expert. I could, I could walk into any Western country and fix most of their problems. I'm not sure if I could help Vietnam too much, but we'll see. Give it a crack anyway. Yeah, Auschamp. Another shout out to them, all the listeners of Auschamp doing, doing wonderful work in uh, Vietnam. Now, well, 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 you know, just, just running along from that. You know, the, it's it's not easy doing business in a foreign country, and so it doesn't matter. You know, if you if you're part of a community, things become easier, and it doesn't matter what your community is, if, 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 because the community is your network, and and uh, and I think I think more formal organisations, it's a more formal relationship with with informal organisations like a footy club, it, it, um, you, can have, you can have business support, but you can also have personal support. And yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the things about, if you're in business, well, it's great to know about taxation and marketing and all the rest of it. But the businesses running over here that rely on foreigners, you also need your, your foreigner staff to be having a great, great time in the country because then they're more likely to stay in the country. 
People who, sure. who don't get the culture, who don't fit in, are more likely to leave. And, and that's where I think that, um, you know, these sporting clubs, whether it's a rugby club or a footy club or, or whatever, if, if it's something that people can, can really enjoy, really feel part of and be a great outlet and expression of everything and, and be your, your way of travelling around the region if you don't have COVID, that, that's what makes, it, it creates the excuse to have so much fun living over yeah. here so that you're happier to stay here longer. And so that's a very different thing to business chambers. So they're, they're, they're completely not the same, and, but um, there's great opportunity for them to complement each other beautifully. How are you dealing with the ANZ Bank, Fabo? No, I'm only just joking. Bill gave them a clip the other week, so I thought I'd just throw that in there just for shits and giggles. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Anyway, moving on. Now, I can't help but notice, mate, again, I know it's, it, it, it uses a, a, little, a verbal podcast, not a visual, but if I look over the left shoulder on the right shoulder of where you are located, I see some, see some reasonably sized water vessels uh, behind you. Um, are they are they some of the doings of what's coming out of the the, the, the power factory, uh, the Rapido factory? Um, and how is uh, the performance over there? Luxury yachts, probably, yeah, a bit of a tough time, I suppose, at the moment for you guys. Well, actually, it's it's um it's very very surprising. So so there are quirky outcomes with this COVID nineteen, and one of the things of self isolation and not being able to travel is that things like camper vans and caravans, sales of them have shot up, and and then um, sailing boats, then all sorts of pleasure boats have also increased around the world. So so there's we were very, very worried at the beginning, but it turns out that the number of inquiries has actually increased. So a, lot coming yeah. from, a lot coming from Victoria in the last couple of days, last week? No, we're mainly from, from America. They're <laughs> 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 spending a lot of time at home on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty to come. Um, but the Triac factory, the factory that builds the incredible Rapido trimarans, amongst other things, um, I've been out there a few times fixing up my surfboards and also for a couple of tours and it is it is something to behold um, the technology inside the the scale of the whole thing until you stand next to one of these boats um, and the the boys running around working on them it, it's it's quite incredible tell us a little bit more about the factory and some of the, the other work that that goes on it's not all mr. Powell sailing around the world on a on a trimaran and um, it's not all, all Mr. Powell's dream. There's actually some other incredible stuff that happens down there. Yeah, no, so, so we, we work hard to make sure that Mr. Powell's continually living the dream and sailing the dream, but he can't get out of the country at the moment. So <laughs> oh, no. Mr. Powell's a bit grumpy about that. So, so yeah, no, we, we make um, the, the flagship is the Rapido 60 Trimaran, and that comes out of the design and engineering of a company in America called Morelli and Melbourne that, that are top tier designers. They, they get heavily involved in the America's Cup and, and other top tier events. And so, so yeah, we, we do a 60 footer, a 50 footer, and a, a 40 footer. So, 60 foot, that's 18 metres. And, and then uh, we also, and we, we make all these products out of, out of composite materials, carbon fibre, fibreglass, 
and and so on. And and then um, the advantages of these materials is that they can be super strong, stronger than steel, super light, and that's why they're they're good on on um, sailing boats because you can you can sail across oceans, have a, lot, a boat as light as possible to pick up the wind and actually move because you're not too heavy. And then uh, importantly, with the strength, it doesn't snap in the middle of the ocean and you, you go under. And so then we can use that for, for other non-marine related industries like, like mining, trains, Billy surfboard. So, so yeah, no, very, very versatile, very versatile. Yeah, amazing. Do you think, I've asked Mr. Powell a couple of times here, and, and, and he did say, he did say affirmative, but it hasn't yet happened. And I said, is there any chance we could get the boys on to one of the boats pre-season as a, as a season opener? Now, maybe you've got a bit more influence down there in the halls of Rapido, uh, Fabo, than I have. Ben, you can help us out. So you'd like me to do the equivalent of a TOEFL, eh? <laughs> on, on, the, on the water. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do, Rocket. Depends yeah, on the please. production schedule. Depends on when one of these boats comes off the line and when the boys are, are not at training. You've got to take these things for a dry run first. There's no question about that. It'll be it'll be wet in the water and it'll be wet in our throats. So I'm sure the boys will be up for it. <laughs> All right. We'll make it happen, Rocket. We'll fly you in from Taiwan on a, on a special um, charter flight. We'll say that you're about to work for... Um, uh, uh, hey, just send the... Just, hey, Fabo, just send the yacht over here, mate. Pick us up, will you? Oh, mate, mate. Like There's that. a few yachts with Victorians travelling nearby lately, I've noticed. <laughs> Fabo, it's been reported that you... Um, you often came to the fore on a Sunday of a footy tour. Um... So much so that, that some of Rocket's sources actually couldn't remember you ever making a, a flight home from a, from a footy Thanks. trip. Thank you, Dame. Thank you, Gus. And an anonymous sources. Can you tell us about some of your favourite Sunday sessions and um, why those sessions were so, so difficult to leave? Uh, oh, well, the, the, the one after... Um, the one after our, our first ever Asian Championships, that, that was that was that was my all-time favourite um, session because because it was a culmination of, of I don't know I want to say years not 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 years but but certainly that year because we we just never ever thought it would be possible to get to the Asian Champs and then when we did get to the Asian Champs with with such a big touring squad from so many different places and everyone we, we didn't win a game but but the goal on the first first year was just to actually physically be there and and uh and everyone because because then they always with this footy you you, you got to get the run on the board and then from that you can you can go harder and better and faster and, and everything and and that's what we did. So it was just enormously satisfying, and everyone was was pretty weary from the night before, and then it just unfolded like like it always did. But it was it was just so much fun. And Pajo, he he was the um, the fines master, and he he was very good at his job. Another another one that that was a good year was was over in Malaysia, 
and uh, you know doyens of the club, Mickey Francis and Andy Wall, who um, to help us get over to to our first ever Asian Championships, he used to be the Jim Beam man, and he used to give us four and a half liter bottles of Jim Beam whiskey. And to help us get to the Asian Champs, counterintuitively. He gave us 26 four and a half litre flaggots <laughs> of Jim So we did plenty of raffles offloading that. But anyway, so another time we're in Malaysia and Mickey Francis and Andy Wall and a bunch of others were all together and, and um, enjoying the Sunday session. And, and then the Saigon boys were all said, come on, Fabo, time to get to the airport. And, um, and Mickey Francis and Andy Wall, who reckoned that, that who, who were in Hanoi, they said that I still had time up my sleeve and I could go with them to the airport. And anyway, the Saigon guys got their flight home and I spent another night in Malaysia. So, yeah, no, it used to shit me. I, I yeah, too many flights for every reason. But I don't miss them anymore. I don't no, <laughs> I get to the airport it? the day before. Well, that leads me to my next question because I think sort of now that... Uh, I think in recent times you've been quite famous in keeping a relatively low profile. Um, and, I, and I think uh, a couple of your closer friends uh, who uh, have been mentioned a couple of times already during this podcast were um, curious about your relationship status and, and how you were traveling. And you, you know, not only you are the, the silver fox, but I'd go as, as far to say as probably the silver tongue. Uh, in terms of being able to, being able to sort of uh, be very smooth with your choice of words. Now, the, the, the query here is I have is how have you managed to keep a girlfriend quiet for three years? Well, well, first of all, I'll tell you, there's going to be a million blokes listening to this going, how the hell did he do that? What about all the devastated women out there? You know? <laughs> So Thank you, they probably won't be listening. It was for that. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't have a girlfriend. I've got a wife. No, and how's that going? How's fatherhood? And, and, how's, and, how's that and going? I've got a beautiful little daughter. Yeah, exactly. just had, a, had her uh, first birthday last week, last Wednesday. So, so yeah, no, that's going swimmingly well. And, um, yeah, yeah, the other day, a little over, she um, showed a bit of soccer skills. In the lab oh, She'll be heading heading good. to Auskick, Auskick pretty soon. That was pretty much yeah. ready. Father's going to have to drum the soccer stuff out of her. <laughs> That's right. <Sort> that <laughs> out. Um, I also see her in the pool too. That, I mean, that's one year. Is that is that oh, responsible man. parenting? I know that your secret girlfriend, come wife, um, is a swimming <laughs> teacher, so it makes a bit more sense. But. Uh, yeah, she, she must have uh, changed a lot of things in your life and, and give you a lot of joy. Yeah, so Sophie, my wife, she, she's a, a gun. I've, I've met her at an Ausjam event about five years ago, 2014. And, uh, and, and she was... So, so the Swannies have been heavily involved in, um, in uh, the water safety stuff for many, many years. And... And we were doing and still do things with uh, Swim Vietnam and Water Safety Vietnam. And then, and then uh, five years ago when I was with the Australian Business Chamber, the Australian Business Chamber would, 
was holding an event and donating the money to Water Safety Vietnam. And that's that's where Sophie was doing some work with at the time. So that's that's where I met her. So, so Sophie's a gun swimmer and a, been trained up with the Australian Oswim qualification and all that. So she's been teaching for the last 10 years. She's been a swimmer for the last 20, 30 years, whatever. Oh, and um, and so, yeah, I've been a good student of Sophie's in, in uh, being involved with Little Ava. 12 months teaching her how to swim, get get used to swimming, and, and mum says, now dunk her under the water. I go, really? Yeah, I wonder about that. <laughs> <laughs> how long is she supposed to have been able to breathe underwater? But anyway, there's a few steps involved there before I'm allowed to get involved. And yeah, no, pretty extraordinary. So yeah, Ava's a gun in the water. And and it's also super fun as, as a parent being, being uh, with this baby in the water, who loves it, but it's so dependent. It's a, it's a great, it's a great bonding time. You know, it's, it's good to read books to her, but that sort of seems a bit one way sometimes, where she has to explain stuff to me. And, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, being in the water is good because I think it's that element of danger, and and if it danger goes for you or danger, danger for her. Well, she said she'll save me. So, <laughs> okay. So when it when it works, it's just really good fun. You get out of the pool and you feel like you've achieved something. It's um, because you're both working together. You know, like running around on a footy field with your mates. It's yeah. having a beer with mates is great fun. Going for a run with your mates on the footy field and having a beer after that is twice as much fun. Mm. Very very true. Um, now my favourite part of the podcast, um, and this will be one for the ages, I think, given that. You have uh, led the club over an incredible journey. Um, the Swanee Super 7. It used to be a Super 6, but a, a player that I won't name has asked to add a 7th, which I, um, I think he's expecting to get a few nominations for. Dumb act, disgraceful. Um, so the Super 7, Super 7, here we go. It's simple word association. I will name uh, a word and you give me the Swanee's player that first comes to mind. Uh, the first, the first one is funny. Jeez, uh, oh Dave O'Shea. <laughs> angry. <laughs> Angry's got to be angry. Um, <laughs> David Hadley's his real name. Yep. I had to stop and think about that. <laughs> no, his name's angry. Thanks for thanks for helping me out with their nicknames, Billy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> best dressed. Oh, the best dressed. Uh, oh, um, oh, I don't know. Um, well, I don't remember anyone being dressed. Ah, uh, shit. You got a clue? Can, best, best can I have a multiple at, choice? Best undressed at certain stages of a footy tour would count, I guess. Well, <laughs> if it was entertaining. Oh. I can spin it the way and make it worse dressed. Yeah, um, oh, shit. I don't know. I could say Revo, but I want to say Revo up for something else. Yeah, okay. Laziest. Oh, Juxy, Juxy with right. his flowery shirts. That's right. I'm, I'm not going to feed pants. them. I'm not going to feed them to you, but that's the correct answer. Yeah, um, correct answer. Sunday, Sunday session shorts on Juxy. Um, yeah. The laziest Swanee that you've come across over the journey. Oh, that, that, that was um, Pumper. 
Okay. So that's that's a golden age one. There was a great write-up yep. when when they did the um, and again before my time, but when they did the write-ups for each of the players you know, going into the tournament, and they reckon Pumpo was 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 will not break stride to get the footy. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud of his running style. <laughs> and who would be the coach's pet? Coach's pet. Um, uh, oh. You've got to make it multiple choice. Get um, me into the... Gus. Oh, yeah, Gus. Gus. Gus does pop up fairly often. I think Gus nails it. Gus is two from three I so think, far. Then complains afterwards that the coach oh, didn't give him a run. That's right. Oh, my Lord. Oh. Coach's had bloody ear off. Three from four awesome. now he's, he's on. Um... The most annoying Swanee. You gotta put a you gotta put a, a funny twist on it without without or you damaging just, the most annoying. You can or just, just go be honest. You can go the jugular, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I oh, named I've got to try and be presidential. No, I named so a few of my, little angels. I named a few of my friends from the Australian Embassy when I got given that question. <laughs> Just have a have a swing. Have a swing. Have a swing. Um, um, yeah, I told you I'm no good at this shot. Mm. Uh, well, I got blanks if, everywhere. If it if it helps, Fabo, I think most annoying. I said Bill Crang after about eight beers, and then I said oh, who's be the best twenty. I said I said who's the best twenty. I said Bill Crang after ten beers because he's sleeping by that stage. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know if that, if that helps. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, no, Billy Crang, he, he'd get a little bit annoying. You're right. But, <laughs> and Juicy used to think Billy would get a little bit annoying every time uh, Billy would, would rip his shirts. He go, yeah. Billy, what are you done, Billy, mate? All right, you've played that card. So the, the final Super 7, uh, disgraceful. Oh, you yeah. know. After, oh, what? Well, you could put a Nico and a Shagger in there. You could put a uh, a uh, Revo and a and a Dave O'Shea in there. You know, often there's team efforts for the most disgraceful. <laughs> so we will we will change the Super Seven into just the Super Seven disgraceful humans that you would like to <laughs> identify from your time with the club. It'll be a lot easier than than the other adjectives. One one last one, Fabio, before we wrap. Who, who would have been one or two of the better players you've seen come through the Swanee doors? Oh well, Mitch is Mitch is uh, front and center at the moment because Billy didn't mention him last week. So so I've got to. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so Mitch is a gum. Lucas is a gum. Lucas Skelton. Uh, yeah, he wasn't being knocked out. Mm. Yeah, so so Juicy uh, was a gun, Revo was a gun, oh, JD Jared Dale was a gun, um, Revo was bloody good. Yeah, I don't know. You keep going on. I need I need the list of all players. Yeah, so no, very good, man. Very good. 
Very, very, very good podcast, Fabo. I think we're going to uh, produce two episodes from this. Thank you very much for your time. Um, I would love to thank you for everything you've done for the club. Uh, everything you mentioned about arriving at the club um, was exactly what I felt when I got there. And, and like you said, it's the people like you and plenty of others who came before that give that feeling to the club that, that enables everybody else who comes behind you to arrive and, and to feel those, those vibes that you've built up. So thank you for, for sharing all that tonight and thank you for, for everything that you've done across the journey. No, well, thank you, Billy. It's, uh, being a servant of this club is, is a great honour and, and uh, I absolutely recognise the people who were heavily involved before me and who welcomed me to the club who, who made sure that I got so hooked to, to be so actively involved in the club. And, and then, you know, as we talked about earlier, just watching the development and now all the locals playing, the, the women playing, and and more, you know, whenever whenever I read stories on the Facebook or whatever, and everyone talks about how great the club is and how much they love it, and we're doing this and we're doing that, best club ever, you know, all all super sensational. It's it's just good, and that's that's that staircase just keeping on going higher and higher, and and uh, you know, when when you've been part of something great, and you know that. You're, you're some of those stairs in that staircase. It's just very awesome. Very, very awesome. And, and uh, yeah, for me, the best years, really. I, I just couldn't get enough of the Swannies. It was, it was always front and centre for me for, for so, so many years. And uh, the ripples were just going out. I always found a, a reason to link the footy club with everything I, I came across. Oh, that relates back to the Swannies. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? No, it's not. <laughs> Why are you always talking about the Swannies? <laughs> Fantastic stuff. And also, thank you, Rocket, for your amazing co-hosting duties um, and for all the research that you put into tonight's show with your shovel digging out in the backyard. And, and yeah, Rocket, no, Bill. You know, your, your ability to protect the uh, identities of your sources, you know. <laughs> the Australian Federal Police would never be able to crack yours. Your system? No, no, I'm sure. What look with the amount of research I've done and, and my sources who are, remain highly anonymous. Once again, thank you, Peter Powell, Dana Angus, for your, for your insights. Uh, yeah, I can't thank those guys enough. Uh, but also, mate, to you, you know, the metaphor that you're using there in terms of the staircase and how it builds and builds, it's a, it's a very nice way to, to put it uh, in terms of um, how the club is growing and, and, and moving. And, and as I say, Never forget the people that you know, that have come before you, right? But make sure you leave your legacy and your mark as you go through, and you've certainly done that, and continue to be involved. So, uh, so on behalf of myself, you know, my relationship with you isn't anywhere near as long as Bill's, but uh, yeah, on behalf of myself, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, thank you, Rocket, and and uh, all the work that I see you doing, and and as I mentioned before, the fact that you're still actively involved in the club from Taiwan is is. Um, you know, that speaks volumes and you just love having people around the club that, that keep on giving like that. It's super. Cheers, mate. And thanks to our incredible 2020 sponsors. The Vietnam Swans can only do the amazing things we do on and off the field with the support of these guys. So if you get a chance, please get behind these businesses. 
2020 major sponsors are Wide-Eyed Tours, the best Indochina specialised travel agents, Vietnam Backpacker Hostels, the most amazing budget accommodation throughout the country, Alfresco's Group, the best Western food with locations in every major city in Vietnam, Beachside Boutique Resort, an absolute paradise on Anbang Beach in Hoi An, and two new 2020 sponsors, HMS Host International, who manage hospitality chains like Burger King throughout the region, and TAL Apparel. Big Jimmy and the team produce the best apparel in the market using the latest technologies, incredible fabric innovations. Like I said, check each of these sponsors out. If you get a chance, you won't be disappointed. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. We're now across most of the major podcast apps. And uh, stay safe wherever you are. Keep honking your horn and let's make sure we're singing this song as soon as possible. <laughs>